hello everyone and welcome to uh, this episode of Bees Pod. As you can tell by the title of the episode, uh, this is a little bit different to me and myself catching up and looking back at the recent games and performances. Um, and instead, we were delighted to be joined um, in an interview you're about to hear uh, with Dean Brennan and Dave Anderson, uh, two of the men tasked with transforming the Bees' fortunes on the pitch. Um, and I'm actually just joined by men now, just before we, we get into the interview and playing it back to you, Mem, it was obviously a fantastic opportunity for us to ask loads of questions and to kind of get an insight into the work that Dean's brewing. They were very open. Um, they let us ask pretty much anything we wanted to. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully what comes across the interview is a bunch of guys who are really honest, who are really open and who are trying their best uh, to really try and turn around the fortunes of the club. And I just kind of wanted to get your kind of initial reactions as to what you heard. Was there anything that surprised you? What really stood out? And yeah, just kind of get your feelings after after the interview. Yeah, I just I, I really enjoyed the openness and and the honesty of the of the two guys. Um, I really enjoyed sort of hearing about the process around recruitment and and uh, we'll learn in the recruitment what uh, Dean is looking for. Uh, learn a little bit about what what he's you know what he wants to achieve at Barnet. And um, yeah, it was really just nice nice to just get to know him a bit better and and get to know um, uh, Dean Anderson as a as um, Ian called him. <laughs> initially uh, make it making it two pods on the trot where he gets the guest name wrong <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was great it was a great experience yeah yeah I thought it was I thought it was awesome and I thought that it was great to have both of them on there initially we were kind of approached just to talk with Dean but the fact that Dave was there was great and I think it, it does sort of show a real insight into how the pair of them work together um, and I think you know Dave as he comes across as a very humble guy very much putting the kind of like credit to Dean for the work. But I think he, him in the background is, is really positive. And to have someone like that, who is a, a real footballing guy who's been around the block, who knows what it takes to be successful in non-league at all bunch of levels um, is really exciting. I guess um, a kind of question just to think about in terms of the interview then, Mem, is in terms of the longer term structure. And I think this is something that we probably didn't go into as much detail in the interview as we probably planned to, but I think that was quite organic with the conversation like going forwards, you know, obviously we're talking about quite a fluid situation based on the positive relationship between Dean and the chairman. I want to kind of get your thoughts on like where you see that panning out in terms of Dean staying as the first team coach and or whether you feel he's going to make that move back to director of football and stuff like that. Because it was really interesting hearing him talk both about his passion for on the pitch, but also like his real passion, I think, is for recruitment. And I think he's got a real skill set in that. Yeah, it's interesting. And I really admire him because he clearly has a really, really good work ethic. Um, my hope is is that his work ethic doesn't um, means that he doesn't bite off a bit too more than he can chew, a bit more than he can chew, really. And my worry is that is he is he bringing is he is he got too much of a workload on on his on his shoulders? Um, I did actually ask him in an interview, "Do you need a director of football?" Because it's clear that you know he had two phones and. In the time we were there, I think was it something like was it nine agents called him? It was him. something crazy. He's, yeah, he's, he's got an Apple phone or, or he's got some, sorry an Apple Watch, and it, and I and I lost you know I literally kept seeing it. It just kept flashing and it was ringing and it was ringing and he's like having to cancel it and put it to voicemail. Honestly, it was and then he said apparently before ten o'clock he'd he'd like been he'd been on the phone with countless agents. So. Yeah, it does, that's that's the one thing that worries me, and that's the thing that I always, you know, that's always made me support the the concept of uh, of a director of football is, 
is taking away some of that workload so that he can just focus on the first team matters. But he is so passionate about um, his job and he's so passionate about doing well that I think it's going to be difficult for somebody to take some of that off him to say, look, Dean, you know, just let's focus a little bit because 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 you're you know you clearly you know his work ethic is 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 incredible yeah i think it's great i think he came across so well and as i said i can't emphasize to everyone listening enough just how open both of them were and he was and how welcoming he was as well i think obviously to some extent you know we're not paxman and you know going in there with a bunch of like uh interrogation <laughs> interrogation style questions but um, I really got the sense that he was a, a great guy doing really positive work for the club. I guess just onto like on-field matters, Mem, you were at the game on Saturday, the Chesterfield game, and it was interesting seeing in that kind of office that up on the board, it's got the kind of map of the games coming up and you look at some of those games and you think, oh God, you know, you've got Chesterfield, you've got Notts County, you've got a few others as well. Um and I guess one of the things that we've discussed on the pod in the past has been like the sustainability of the current run of form that we've been on um, and, and the kind of potential for that to not necessarily tail off in a negative sense for a long term, but perhaps to sort of self-correct a little bit. Um, I guess on Saturday then, that Chesterfield game, a disappointing result. Afterwards, it seems to be that there was a big golfing class between the sides, um, which is what something we talk about on the pod in terms of the league essentially splitting into four or five mini sort of sub-leagues, of which Chesterfield are probably a couple ahead of us. What were your thoughts on that? And I guess, did anything in the interview that Dean mentioned about like recruitment or about um, anything else like kind of cross your mind as you watch the performance? Yeah, it was, it's very interesting. In the interview, go, Dean goes into it about the fact that he felt that he, this team needed more pace in it. And what was obvious to me was uh, that in the first half, I thought we actually matched Chesterfield quite nicely. Uh, we worked, we played well, and we had this situation where we had three attackers who essentially slightly interchanging positions a bit with Efron, uh, Daniel Powell, and Rob Hall, kind of like interchanging. And to the first half, it, it worked well. They had chances, we had chances. But then in the second half, it was the, the pace and the power that they had in the side that was noticeable. There was so many occasions where you could see a sprint between two a Barnet player and a Chesterfield player and they were streets ahead um I mean I've, I was talking um with uh, with one of our fans um uh, with Jack Reynolds about this um offline and and I, we were just it, we, we had a slight disagreement but you know in a res- it was a respectful but I felt that the of all the goals uh pretty much stemmed from a lack of pace in our side where balls were played out and then it became a sprint in the centre. Sprint to get on the end of a cross, sprint to get in front of the player to to, to shoot and hit, hit a shot. So I kind of felt that, um, that you know, that, that was the, the difference. And I think that's what Dean is probably looking to, how to bridge that gap with those teams with, with, with such, you know, devastating pace. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. Just looking back at some of the goals, you can, you can see just a kind of, difficulties in, in picking up second balls and stuff like that. But really, this this podcast that you're about to listen to um, it is more of a longer-term view. Um, it's probably one that's best listened to, not in the immediate aftermath of the 90 minute, but rather sort of thinking over a couple of months or so. And I think as you listen, I, it's very difficult not to get excited and, and be really positive about the direction the club are going in, um, in regards to Dean and in regards to Dave and the work that they're doing. 
Um, so on that note, Mem and I will, will give it a rest for a little bit. You'll hear from us in just a moment. I'd just like to say then a huge thanks to Howard, to uh, Dean, to Dave uh, for giving up their time being so generous, to Dan Martin as well for providing that link into the club and, and helping us set this up. Um, it was a real pleasure for us to go in there and, and spend some time with these two guys. Um, and we really, really hope you enjoy the interview as much as we enjoyed recording it. Uh, so here it is. Uh, our interview with Dean Brennan and Dave Anderson. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to uh, our latest show. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Mem, but for once he's not the star attraction on the show. We've got two fantastic gentlemen uh, working their nuts off to become, or make Barnet, um, back where it belongs in terms of both in the National League and hopefully up into the league. Delighted to be joined first of all uh, by Dean. Dean, the first thing I'm going to say is there's no shorts on today, which for us is a bit of a surprise. I think it's the first time I've seen you without shorts the last few months. But um, on a serious note, how are you doing today? And um, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, I'm really happy to be here. And uh, I think it's very important we uh, send out a clear message to our supporters of how we want to be inclusive of them with our football club to create a togetherness. Because I'm a big believer in, you know, if you don't have togetherness, you're not going to have success in this business. And uh, if we can all help each other and give ourselves that little, uh, little push, we can definitely bring success to our football club. No, 100%. Well, thank you so much for giving up your time. I really appreciate it and how I've set up as well. And uh, a bonus guest, two for the price of one, we've got Dean Anderson here, a legend of non-league. Uh, Dean, thanks so much for joining us. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a legend. <laughs> Listen, I forget my name as well. I've got a tattoo on my arm, so don't worry about it. I've got Dean here. <laughs> the last show I went through, I called the guest wrong the whole way through. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I'm really sorry. About no, that. Just... <laughs> I've been there. Don't worry about it. We're delighted to be joined <laughs> by uh, by Dean's brother, Dave. Uh, Dave Anderson, legend of non-league. Um, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and how are you doing this evening? I was all right until you insulted me. <laughs> and now I'm fine. I'm fine, Jimmy. Starters. I'm just yeah. moving. I'm, I'm, I'm moving my chair back a little bit. No, it's, um, a, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for for coming coming on. We, we really really appreciate it, and I know that the fans do as well. Um, you've both had a, a huge huge impact on the club already in a, in a short space of time, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but before we do. Would love to sort of just hear a little bit about, um, you know, it might be a, a little while ago, I'm not going to say a long time ago, when you were both uh, involved, both playing-wise and also early early stage of your career. I mean, Dean, we can all see Wikipedia and we can look through your, your playing career and bits and bobs. But my main question is, in terms of your playing career, what sort of things did you sort of pick up from that you, you wanted to take through into management? Because you had quite a wide-ranging career, some time in the league, some time in non-league, different levels, different clubs. And I was just wondering what you sort of picked up from that that, that made you want to go and become a, a manager or a coach? Well, I always had to have a football brain uh, to play, to be honest with you. And the big thing I took out of it, I'll be dead honest, was that uh, it's how not to be a professional footballer. I didn't live my life right. I didn't give myself the best opportunity. I had a lot of opportunities because of my ability. And uh, I, had a re- I, really, I was an intelligent footballer. I was bow-footed. Um, and I just never gave myself that opportunity to stay as fit and athletic as what I should have been to play as high as I could. And I let myself down, really. So when I went into management, I made a vow to myself that I would never do what I did when I was a player. And uh, I leave no stone unturned now. I, I go through every detail. 
and the one percenters are very big to me in, in management. So if I look back at myself, which I don't really, I don't like to do, um, I've got a, I've got a saying basically: live for today, look forward to tomorrow, and learn from yesterday. I don't like to look back too far, and uh, when I do that, like you've asked me that question, you know, I'm disappointed in myself that I did that. But then again, I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't go through them experiences. Yeah, so like sort of no regrets almost, like learning from the past and moving forwards. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and Dave, does that sort of tally with your your experience of Dean as a player, or do you remember that yeah. Wandish delivery from out wide and uh, the fans singing his name, the Irish Beckham? We, we yeah. found that just now. Yeah, I think it, we're just saying. I think maybe it was me that gave him give him the nickname. But the, the one thing I'd say about him is we got him when he it was a professional at Stevenage. He's technically unbelievable. Really, I'm actually listen. He doesn't pay me enough money for me to be worried about this, you know. But um, technically, very good. Understood the game, understood how to get relationships, got into the dressing room quickly. Um, and it was only later in life when we, I think I interviewed Dean for a different series when he told me the same thing, that it it drives him now and, and, and we all need something to drive us. Um, and at that time, going back, if I'm, it's easy to say, oh, I knew he'd be brilliant. I never thought he'd be a manager. I thought he was a, the guy that everybody wanted to be around, go for a few beers, technically brilliant you know, should have been at a higher level. But when I met him afterwards and he first got into management, then I had no doubts, you know, I really didn't. How about your career? What was your career like? This is only an hour long, you know, take a while, man, you know. But, uh, listen, I've been doing it for the best part of, I'm guessing, 30 years, 35 years. Of, I'll give you the big hits that um, uh, I've, I've now managed at every level in non-league, so from the conference all the way down to step, five or six I don't know what word churchy is so I've managed in every level so so I'm, I'm I'm pleased with that I've managed seven sets of fathers and sons so that tells me I've been around a long time and I've won a couple of leagues and I've won the Vaz I've managed AFC Wimbledon I've broke a British record so I've, I've been okay I've been happy you know um, and I've managed some great people and Dean and, and other people who are nine managers have played under me so yeah it's it's been good but I have to tell you, where I am now is every bit as enjoyable, you know. That's good stuff. So I, I, want, I want to hear from both of you about this. So from a management perspective, who are your influences? Who are the people that you guys look up to when you're, when you're uh, you know, thinking of managers and the way that managers get, play the game and the style or maybe just the, their methods? Which managers do you look to and think, okay, that I, I, I want to model myself on that one? I don't model myself on anybody, but I aspire to be some, like Pep Guardiola for me is, is the greatest. Um, and also Alex Ferguson goes down as greatest, and how he evolved around different generations and changed. Now the game changed under him. You know, there wasn't many agents in the 80s, and he was such a successful manager. And then he managed to evolve with the game. And really in 96, I think it was 95, 96, the Bosman rule had come in, and that changed football forever. And Alex Ferguson was, was able to continue to build. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of money at Man United. But if you look at Pep, the way they play, and the way they press the ball, dominate the game with the ball, you know, his methods are just insane. Um, and how he gets his teams to uh, play with that intensity. Jorgen Klopp's done a great job, hasn't he? You know, we've got the best managers really in the world in the Premier League at the minute, so we're very lucky. Is there any to any teams in particular you look back and you think, I wish I managed that team? <laughs> Uh, no, not really. I don't look, like, look at it like that. I'll be dead honest, I don't look at it like that. I just like focus on my team and how we can affect things. And uh, really, that's I, I keep it that way. But look, I do. I, I, I read a lot about football. Um, 
I read a lot about different managers. If you look at John Comer, for example, look what he's done at Accrington. He is an unbelievable manager with no budget for the last 20 years. They're in League One, Accrington Stanley. You know, like that, that's people like that are aspired to. John Steele, the long career he had, I, I speak to John quite a bit. I know he was here over a couple of occasions. So the longevity in the game is, is, is as important as well, you know. That's an achievement, isn't it? You don't have to get right to the top. Um, and it's quite sad, really, someone like John Coleman doesn't get offered a major job or a proper job. Why can't he get offered a major job? So, but I'm afraid that it's the Premier League and English football now, especially at the elite level on top of it, is a, is a world game now. And it's owned by uh, people from all over the world. So, Would you say, though, with someone like John Coleman, that what, because he's been allowed time to build that side and evolve it over, over the years, that you don't get that kind of time in other clubs? Yeah, but you have to marry him with your chairman. The most important relationship is, is manager and chairman or that, whoever's closest to the chairman. If you can't have that relationship, you're not going to have success because you're going to fight all the time and you're going to battle. And that's the biggest battle is, is you have to manage up quite well. Um, if you can be, and John's managed to do that with his chairman over plenty of years. Um, well, every year you build a new team and within a season you'll add different stages. You'll add players to that team. Um, and a lot of teams are doing that now. You can sort of push it on. You can see that in air division. Some are trying to get a relegation. We've just had a manager lose his job, Brian Stock. You know, is that deserved or not? I'm unsure. They're four points off the relegation. Um, or getting out of the relegation. So in a team, really, that's sort of a hybrid. They're only gone hybrid. So, you know, turnover of managers, obviously, it's always disappointment when someone loses their job. But I think from our point of view, um, just from what we've done so far, We've got an honest bunch of players, and that's all anyone can ask of anybody is the players to walk hard and give them clear guidance to do that. Um, so, yeah, building a team is difficult, really difficult, because there's other teams, obviously, in different levels, different finances, different personal circumstances. It's not easy to recruit players. It's the hardest part of the business, but it's the key part of the business. Recruitment's the key to the business. Yeah, I'd imagine, at any level, but I'd imagine especially this one where, you know, the luxuries of giving out, say, a five-year contract are probably not something that most clubs can, can really sit down and do, at least at the sort of top end. It's a very different level of recruitment, but at least there's a little, a few more tricks you can do when you've got a bit more money. I was going to just give this, the same question to yourself, Dave, in terms of your influences. Um, and I was just thinking in terms of, you've obviously managed at such a, a vast range of non-league. I guess that the real elite level of the game at points must feel pretty close, at points must feel quite far away. I'm just wondering how your ideas have evolved over the years, or are there some core influences that you've always had that you've always said, you know what, I want my teams to play like this, or these are the sort of values I want to see on the pitch when, when my guys are playing? Yeah, I, th I think influences. My, my major influence was Bob Dowie, who's Ian's older brother, who who I worked with, and and he just he was my mentor really. Uh, I, I look at people like like Danny and Nicky Cowley, who I've known for a long time, and seeing what they've, you know, they they sort of motivate you, and and you sort of go great job, and you're delighted for them. You know, Dean's starting to do the same thing. I've got other people who have played for me, um, but but going but the games change massively. You know what I'd say is that how it was, how it's been played, the surfaces it was been played on, the fitness levels over the, over the thirty years has changed massively. I, I genuinely get excited the way Dean sets his teams up to play. I'd have to say I've very little say in it because you, if my teams were playing in the back garden, you'd pull the curtains. You know, you know because I I was like get it forward and we'll play in there and we'll do uh, very effective with a small budget but not particularly entertaining, whereas, you know, uh, hopefully the supporters sort of realise that the, the team is set out to entertain. doesn't always achieve what 
what it's meant to. But every team that, that, that we've worked on since I've come in with Dean ha, has been, one, to go and get a result, but two, to entertain while getting a result and be on the front foot and play football and, and be effective. So I'm loving that because, you know, the old saying is, and it's a very true saying, I, I'm two steps behind the manager. In, in reality, it's two million miles because he carries the con of everything. So he has to be double brave to do what he does. I don't. I can sit behind him and go, that's a great idea. You know, so um, so the, the, for me, I, I'm, I'm a sort of dinosaur, but my man management skills are good and I get people and I understand players and I get good relationships with players and I think that helps at times. But the bus is being driven by him. Make no mistake about that, you know. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting dynamic. I could come to you on this this Dean. Just looking at the national league, particularly this year, something that Mem and I have talked about a lot is just it seems almost to be really splitting into a couple of divisions. At the top end, you've got teams like Notts County, Stockport, Wrexham. Like I think that could probably, in my view, compete very very well in the league. They're doing some interesting stuff with analytics. They're doing stuff with big budgets. Um, and I, I think a couple of years ago, when sort of Barrow went up under under Ian Ever, really trying to play a a very progressive style of football, which was, you know, not, I'm not saying it was unlike anything in the past because you had some really good teams in there. John Stills, Luton team were a very good side, etc. but it was certainly sort of, I think a little bit more in the possession based uh, kind of like looking to be quite proactive with the ball. Have you noticed that since you've been involved in the national league over the last few years in particular, like a change in terms of how teams can be successful at this level? Is that something you picked up on or is that a bit of sort of media hype around it? Do you think? No, no. The great way to answer it is how many teams have gone off from the national league and come straight back down. Into, from League Two. It hasn't happened for ages. Look at Sutton, Hartlepool. They're doing unbelievable jobs. You know, Forest Green not too long ago were in this division. So if you have continuity and stability, which was something we haven't had here for the last two or three years, it, that's the truth of it. If you have that and you have togetherness, you can achieve anything. Look at Sutton United. Matty Gray and Jason Goodliffe, what a job they've done. Unbelievable. I think they're fourth in division above. Yeah, they're the famous, you know? yeah. yeah. So anything can happen. You know, John Coleman, who we spoke about before, I don't personally know him. I've, I've played against him years, a long time ago when he was a manager, and I don't personally know him, but the, the achievements with togetherness, everyone going in the same direction. The minute you have people going not on top, one driving the bus, not on the bus with you, you won't have success. And any time that happens, you have there has to be someone that leads it. And if people don't come along with that leader, they have to fall to the wayside. It's as simple as that. And uh, you have to be ruthless enough to understand that the timing of doing that and you have, to, uh, you have to understand what you want from a group of players, from staff, from your scouts, from your owner, from, from supporters' point of view as well. It's so important we're inclusive, you know, um, and we want positive, um, we want to create a positivity. The only way you can do that is being honest and being open and transparent. And we've nothing to hide here. That door is open. You guys are allowed in here anytime you want. It's, uh, and that's so important. I, I wanted to find a bit about how you got here. Barnet. Obviously, I'm not not interested in the the actual route, but um, you know, down the motorway and stuff. The in terms of like you know the clubs you play, because I mean you had a lot of success at, for instance, Hemel Hempstead. Tell us about your time at Hemel Hempstead. Yeah, uh, Dave Boggins was a brilliant chairman to me because he gave me an opportunity in life. I think I was what am I now 41, so I was 41 when I got the opportunity, and I grabbed it with both hands. Um, I sacrificed a lot to basically be a manager. I gave up sort of one of my businesses I had at the time and I just I said if I'm going to be a manager you have to give everything and I did and I took a team that was in reprieve level 3 
um, which was the Southern Premier, and I got them into the playoff final. We lost on penalties. Um, and then the next season, we won the division. Um, so I gave everything that year to make sure I laid the foundations for me to go on and be a successful manager. And then we got into the National League South, which Hemel have never been at that level, and we kicked on from there. And to be honest, I, I stayed there for six and a half years. I torn down a lot of different clubs at different stages, but I had a very open and transparent relationship with Dave Boggins. And in the end, I, after six and a half years, successful years, leaving the club in a great, a great place, it's a seasoned conference outside now, a National League South, shouldn't say mm. conference, National League South. So uh, and they've got a good manager in place there now, Mark Jones. Since I went, they haven't had a lot of stability. It just shows you how hard it is to get good managers. It's a delicate process for chairmen. You had quite a few Barnet players, if I remember, all on loan. Was it? Didn't you have um, Jamal, uh, Jamal Lowe? You did. Yeah. Now, tell because uh, interesting enough, we listened to a podcast, and it didn't take, it didn't have to be Sherlock Holmes to work out who the manager was at the time. Tell us a little bit about what, what happened, because he talks about an incident where he felt like he fell out of you. Um, and I the impression I get from you, and I, you know, I don't know you that I don't first time I've ever met you, is that if somebody, you know, you you seem quite a jovial guy, but you kind of also seem sort of the sort of guy that if somebody goes sort of dis, you know, doesn't show the necessary respect or doesn't, you know, do the right things, that you won't allow that. And, you know, the fact that you're here, the fact you've had a good career up to this point suggests that, you know, that you're not just going to be a, you know, having a laugh at players and stuff. What actually happened with that in that in that scenario where he talks? Jamal wanted to play. Uh, he was with me for a couple of years. Um, I had a lot of belief in him. Uh, worked a lot one on one with him uh, as well. Outstanding talent, unbelievable in training. But I always just say to Jamos, you need to get yourself to a fitness level because his game is about eight sprints at a time. Yeah. He could only do two. He was walking. He was trying to earn a living. We went in full time. We couldn't walk on that. Um, and we had Jordan Parks, who got 25 goals on the flanks every year for me. And Jamal played in the same position, or James Potton. So we had some really good players that were a little bit older than Jamal's. And in the end, I felt that the right thing to do was I sold them to Alan Dowson at Hampton, because he was back in the Ryman Prem. And I suppose it was great learning for Jamal's. I never fell out with Jamal's, to be honest with you. I just think I favoured other players um, that, you know what I mean, produce more at that level. Um, and he's gone on to do great things. And I love seeing lads that have walked it before. I'm sure he's learned a couple of things off me, but the biggest thing for me, for him and his career, was to be able to do eight, nine, ten sprints at, at a time. And I'm proud of the part I played and, and him kicking on to doing what he's doing. He's a great lad, great attitude, always wanted to train, always wanted to learn. Uh, I personally had no issues with him. I think on, there's another great character that is a little bit more from my neck of the woods, uh, where a club you went to next, which was Glenn Tamplin at, at Billericay. I mean, a character with a, a capital C. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to come to you in a moment, uh, Dave, to get your thoughts on some of the non-league characters in the game that you've worked with. But what, what was it like working at, at, at Billericay, making that, that sort of move there? Obviously a club with just, I can imagine, a lot of instability at the time. Um, and, and just how was that experience perhaps of managing, going from doing wonders really on a, a really tight, limited budget with a group of players that you've built a great relationship with, you've developed, to going to, I'd imagine, a, a slightly different environment in terms of, of players and also in terms of things around the club. And I was just wondering kind of how that how that happened and how you felt about it and, yeah, just what it was like. Because it was a, a reasonably short spell you were there for, I believe. It was about four months, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, you've gone from a job where you've been six and a half years, stroke seven years, and then you've gone into that job. And... Um, I, I had a great relationship with Glenn. Glenn's a really good guy. He's got some demons. I think everyone knows about that. Um, there was a lot of broken promises. Um, my biggest achievement uh, in football was keeping Billericay alive because the wage bill was astronomical. 
it ran out of money and I basically chopped a lot of players at the detriment of me. And that's my biggest achievement in football. They mightn't tell you that down there, but that's what happened. Um, I made a major sacrifice for a football club not to go bust. And uh, the thing was going bust. It's as simple as that. We couldn't afford to pay the players anymore. And uh, yeah, so to the detriment of me. But that's the way it goes. And I'm proud of that, though. Yeah. Because, um, you know, if the supporters of Billericay remember what was going on, players weren't getting paid, they were refusing to play. Uh, it was just, it was carnage, to be fair. But amazing learning call for me to come into a job like this now, which is a big football club. And, uh, and it, it, it just, you know, it just gets you rough around the edges a little bit. You know what I mean? It, it smooths that out for you for when you come into a job like this. And, and Dave, for yourself, obviously, heavily involved with AFC Wimbledon, which I guess was, again, a very different experience to, you know, to well, clubs like uh, Villaricky and then previously Hemel Hempstead, a club that sort of has started up. Again, a lot of expectation, um, a lot of excitement around that. But I guess some of the infrastructure there probably you were kind of building it as you went in terms of as a behind the scenes of a football club. Again, just wondering how you managed that. You must have felt at points like you were more than a manager and were sort of running the whole ship at some point. So I'm just wondering how you felt that, that experience went. I think, I think that they learned very quickly, AFC when one of the people that run it. It, it, was, it, it wasn't like that. It, 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 they had someone to do everything. You know, you, you were sort of well looked after. The, the, the thing they didn't understand was the league. And, and how that worked. And that's what I'd sort of left Hendon and dropped down. Hendon were due to go Conference South and then refused it. That was when the breakaway happened, you know, when Conference North and South came in. And, and we'd finished second or third at Hendon. And the chairman, God bless him, Ava Roberter, who was a diamond, um, uh, he, he didn't want to commit to the Conference South. And the Wimbledon job came up. So effectively, it dropped down two divisions. But um, it... it the one thing I'd say about the best way I could, I, I could describe Wimbledon is I, I took Hendon to second in the Raymond and the Isthmian Premier. But, and if you want it, you went straight in the conference. So effectively, it was Conference South. And and I think that the, the highest gate we had was maybe 300. My first night at AFC Wimbledon was a Q&A, and there was 350 at it, and it was live on the internet. So that tells you you're in a different ball game now. Um, and a great experience, you know, and I've, I've used the same scenario with Dean about coming here. <laughs> you know, I, well, I don't care. I, I said, look, you know, you, Hendon, Wimbledon, Wilston, Barnet. It's the same thing in my book. You know, it, it, this, is his, this is him going. This is his move in it. Um, and I absolutely believe that. And, and it is different. And, and I'm sure he'd say that. But, but they're brilliant for experiences because we don't need to do this stuff, you know, and, and people talk about the stresses of it and 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 you, everybody wants a piece of it and you, if, you, if it's bad, it's really bad. I mean, we don't need to do this stuff. We actually thrive on it and every experience, and I think Dean's explained it really well about if you take Hamill versus Billericay versus, you know, the rest of the They're all different experiences, it's what you take out of it, you know, and, and if you take stuff personally, you're in the wrong game if you want to be in the game we're in, you know. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, me and Ian have, have had our own experiences. We talk about on our podcast. So me and Ian have both been coaches in the past and for whatever reason, I mean, Ian still does it and I've, I've decided not, not to do it anymore because I just don't have the time. Um, but we've both been in clubs where um, you get told one thing and the reality is very different. Um, you, you know, and to the front, people at the front of the house, they look at it and go, well, you know, look, it looks amazing. It looks amazing. And then you're behind the scenes, you're like, I can't even get a kit. Where's the kit? 
you know, we've we got where's we've lost, you know, whatever. So you know, um, so talk. You brought up you brought up about Wildstone. So this is interesting, obviously, because Wildstone have decided they hate us because just in a scenario that was only <laughs> no, no. But the point is, is that getting onto that point about your time at Wildstone because you did really well there. You took, you brought them up into the conference. Um, now I don't know if you know this, but actually we were banging the drum to get you hit, get used Barnet quite a lot quite early to our own detriment because we got you know the will he will he won't won't he saga of joining Barnet made us look like a bunch of idiots and um so but we were very supportive we saw what you were doing at Wildstone and we we were like okay we like that he's a he's a coach on the up so tell us about I, I, I want to know a little bit about your time at Wildstone and I also and we also want to know a bit about what happened in that moment? Because we knew that you were here. We knew that the talks were happening. We knew that there was a really good chance you were going to come here. And just at the point where we went, he's coming, it didn't happen. And, uh, and, and then you went back to Wildstone. So tell us a bit of what about that whole little sort of saga. And to be fair to uh, our chairman, um, he was very professional in his approach. I got a call on a Sunday night from the Wildstone chairman saying, Barnett of... Uh, met your release clause. Um, if you're going there, let us know. I didn't have no out about it. And then I got a phone call the same night from Tony, basically saying, do you want to come in for a chat tomorrow? So I'd be mad not to, you know, I can go there. The worst that happens is I can fact find. And obviously at Wheelstone, um, we had a lot of players that signed for myself at Wheelstone that um, didn't sign for financial reasons. You know, I can go through the names, Connor Smith, Jacob Mendy, Billy Clifford, Michi Efferty. I can keep going. Um, Aston Oxborough come and played for us for a year when we won the title as well. So, so many different players. Jerome McKeem, loads of great lads, great team spirit, great, great bond, great team spirit, played in the front foot. So, I come and met Tony, had a good chat room. Um, he wanted me to make a decision quite quick. And it was a little bit too quick. Looked at the squad from the outside, spoke to a couple of senior players at Wheelstone. They begged me not to go. And I stayed loyal, really. And when I, thought, when I thought about how good the supporters at Wheelstone were to me, and they gave me an opportunity when I was out of walk, you got to remember. And then I looked at the situation. There was a lot of players here, a lot of different managers' players. And I just felt that I'd st I, I, I stay loyal to Wheelstone. And I showed a lot of loyalty, to be totally honest with you. Um, but in the end, I'm here now. And uh, I don't regret anything I've done because it's been a good experience for me, for me to learn. Um, and keep progressing as a person in general. But I think loyalty is a big thing these days and it's drifting out of the game, to be totally honest with you. And uh, I felt I showed that uh, to a football club. Um, in the end, it wasn't received uh, well a few months later. So that's, that's the, the crux of it. And I guess now on to when you, you both sort of came to Barnet and, and, and joined, obviously at the end of or the middle of quite a challenging time for the club where we'd gone from obviously a relegation previously a couple of seasons where we sort of quite luckily got into the playoffs we finished 11th I think it was under Darren Curry and, and got into there but we felt like we had a good thing going on there he then left we had a bunch of players coming through the door an entirely new squad when you both arrived and I'll start if that's all right with, with yourself um Dave when you first came to the club what were the sort of immediate things that you put your finger on as like, right, these are the things we need to fix? Was it fixing the right sort of recruitment? Was it the training? Was it the kind of environment around the club? What, what sort of things were you like, this is going to be an interesting job and if we get these four or five things right, we're going to be bang on it? Well, I actually came in uh, with Simon Bossy. Yeah. Um, and I'd sort of retired and I was enjoying my retirement and Boss had sort of rang me and said, look, 
I'm, I'm going in till the end of the season. I think it was about nine weeks or something like that. He says, can you come along, give me a hand, do the goalkeepers, assist me, just someone to be to be around it. And I went, yeah, of course, can. I live six miles away. Um, and effectively, that's all I was interested in, you know. I was aware of the other stuff that had happened with Dean. We, we spoke about stuff, but I came, in, I came in with Bass. And in my book, I was here for nine weeks. Yeah. And then I was off to the golf course again. And um, I think that the, when I first came in, I think... It, it's, I'm not sort of trying to be detrimental to any manager or any system, but there'd been a big turnover of players, big turnover of managers. It, it, it just was very loose. There's different players from different managers. Nobody really knew, you know, the, different managers played different ways. Believe me, my team versus Dean's teams, I've said it already. So I need different sort of players to play the way my teams play. And so we had a bit of that. And Boss just said, look, I want to come in. I want to steady the ship. And and we did get a bit of team spirit, and I thought we did really well, if I'm, if, if, if I'm, if I'm honest. Um, and then, obviously, Simon's dealing with, with, with the chairman, um, gets the chance to go to Portsmouth. With, we spoke about Danny and Nick, uh, um, and goes. And, and, and I thought that was me done, and then I spoke to Dean and the chairman, and they said, look, would you hang around? Um, and and then Harry came in, and, and I met Harry, and, and, and spoke to Dean, and said, stick around, do your job, went. I'm really enjoying it. I'm at a time in my life where I can I can say yes or no. You know, you can't always do that in football. Sometimes you've got to stick it out. Uh, you know, I can go when I want, you know, so it'd be nice. No, but, uh, um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> so so that's sort of where it was. Um, and then what progressed after that progressed. I have to say that in all respect, when Dean stepped down and, and, and Harry went, I, I just, it, it became better instantly and, and listen, I everybody would see that the results, the the mood, the that. So so I, I've just I've just stuck around and, and sort of Dean says stick around and be involved. So that's where I am with it, you know. Yeah. But I have to say I'm really enjoying myself. And it must I guess it must be great to have that that breadth of experience you've got now, the ability to just have a bit more perspective. I guess if you're scrapping as a young manager for your life in the game, and we've seen it here with quite a few brilliant young coaches that we've had. I mean, I don't you know. Simon Bassi was brilliant for us. I know he didn't sort of struggle with it, but a couple of other ones, perhaps people like Ross Eames, who played really fantastic football, but then when things started going wrong, became a little bit unsure in themselves. And we didn't have an experienced figure like yourself around the club to sort of just guide us through it. And it just led to that instability. Yeah, but don't kid yourself. I, I'm enjoying being taught the way Dean plays. a whole different ballgame. So, you know, people probably look at me and say, well, he's, he's the, the jail go and whisper in his ear. You know, I usually said that Dana Long's left, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I, I I think my experience is good and I, and I get that and I understand it and my calmness and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I'm actually like, I feel like I'm at school as well, being schooled on on how to play football that people want to watch. And I, I guess, uh, Dean, onto yourself then, you came to the club in the summer originally as the director of, of football. And I think before I hand over to Mem to talk about how, you know, you've sort of tried to structure the team in terms of like a, the playing side, I guess when you came to the club, what was your thinking in terms of that director of football role? Obviously it was a different one to what you'd had previously. And yeah, I was just curious as to what, what you wanted to do to make, well, why did you want to make that transition from being a very, very effective manager, a coach on the, on the train ground every day to perhaps a slightly more or one step removed and one step higher up than that. What was your thinking with that? Well, the first thing, um, I, I was, Kept in contact with Tony, to be fair, and we, we hit it off straight away, to be honest with you. 
uh, when we first met, I think it was last December, let's say it was, December before last, and we've constantly kept in contact, and we uh, we get on really well, we do now as well, you know, uh, we've got a good walking relationship, and I'd, I'd say we've got a good friendship actually. Um, so that's how it come about, and he contacted me about being like head of football, director of football, he told me what he wanted to do with bringing Harry in and stuff like that, and I was open-minded, I thought, well, why not? You know, I live a half an hour up the road, um, it's a great club, um, and what I try and have to talk about is the facilities, because what we need to build here, it's already having facilities, you know, um, of a great saying, it's not where you live, it's how you live it, and that's what needs to happen here, we need to live it, we need to breathe it, we need to have that passion, you know, and I see a lot of negativity, like Bromley away, the negativity there, supporters were basically saying we're going down with the dove, our own supporters, things like that just can't happen, you know, and I'm not going to allow that to happen, um, so, we have to kick on. We've got to push forward. There's going to be tough times. We're in the division. It's a really, really tough division. So just going back to what you, the question you yeah. asked, when I first come in, I thought, I think it was the 12th of June, I thought we were, were literally eight months behind everybody else. We've already started recruiting for next season. That started in November. You know, so that's when it's got to start. You can't just put someone in place. And so, you know, and then you, realistically, we're picking up low-stock players, really low-stock players, you know, and... It's difficult because everyone else is in for the, the players that have done well. So that process has started already, and that's the key to the business for me, recruitment. You've got to sign good players, and players that want to be here for the right reasons. It's really interesting. Something we've commented on on, on Beastpod is um, that all the players now live in London, uh, pretty much. And we don't have this ridiculousness, a ridiculous situation where players are travelling from Birmingham and manager lives in Bristol or wherever he was, Gloucester, all this lot. So, I mean, from a, from a recruitment perspective, um, so I've been told that you've got a couple of people in your sort of backroom staff that help you the recruitment. Can you just explain to sort of Barnet fans, um, so who you've got and how they work and how you work with them and you know and what the, what the sort of the process is when you're sort of looking for players. So, for example, yesterday we got in at eight o'clock yesterday morning, left at half seven last night, just watched video all day of players. That's literally what we've done. And when I got in last night. And I'm eating me dinner, I'm still watching players. So really, it has to be my eye that makes the decision. They can't make that decision. They can recommend. Um, so we've got a lad called Michael Carney, who sort of does the Midlands down. Um, and we'll do uh, opponent scouting. He's going to watch Notts County on, because he lives that way, he's going to watch Notts County on Saturday. And we've got Cork Raymond, who's been with me from day one, who helps out around the place on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you have Gary King as well, who's like a mentor of mine, has been with me since day one as well, keeps me calm, a little bit older head, head, uh, than myself. So in my early days, I used to scream and shout a lot. You don't see that anymore because I'm a much more experienced manager. Even though I'm only 41, I'm a much more experienced manager. Um, and then I have a few other scouts that do it for us as well, ex-players and stuff like that. We'll go watch games. Um, but the key to it is, you know, agents, relationship with agents. You have to have it. Every player has an agent. A simple, one player didn't do a deal this year without an agent. It was Mitchell Brundle. He's the only player that did this deal by himself. Everyone else did had an agent. I would say in the league. I say he's probably the only player in the league. Never mind Barnett. Yeah, maybe. The, maybe. So you have to deal with these kind of scenarios, and that's every level. That's all the way down non-league. You can get down to level four non-league, and they have agents. So that's how the game's evolved and changed. Um, and what I try to do with every agent that contacts me, like today, we were counting it today, funny enough. By 10 o'clock this morning, I had 22 agents contact me. Yeah. By 10 o'clock this morning, because it's January. So I replied to every one of them, well, prepared in the training session, well, seeing who's fit, who's not, 
So it's hard work. It is hard work, but it's enjoyable, right? You know. So it begs the question, Dean: Do you need a director of football above you to help you out with these agents and filter them out? No, I don't believe that. I believe it's, look, I am still my role is head of football, and I'm in charge now. Obviously, managing the team as well. So the way I look at it, I've, the relationship between myself and the owner is magnificent. We've got a great relationship. We've had a couple of tiffs. That's the way it is. But I'm sure you've had a couple of tips with your wives, haven't you? But you still love them. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, but I think what's very important with myself and Tony is that we are honest with each other. We're honest, we're straight, and that's the only way you want to walk with anybody. I know you can walk with anybody once they're honest. And to be fair to Tony, he's honest. Yeah, we might have some peculiar procedures and stuff like that, and that's the truth, you know? Um, but I've learned how to walk with him, and he's learned how to walk with me, and we're building that relationship. And that's got to be the strongest relationship. Now we have to make it inclusive of our supporters, we are laying foundations for years to come. We can't just go and start a 23 team. That can't just happen. We've got to look how we finance it. How we, so I look at it from a business point of view as well, which is so important. Not just give me money, give me money, give me money. We've got a great catchment area for players. Look at the catchment area. And how, many, how, many, how many football league clubs and Premier League clubs are around us? They're releasing loads of players this year. We've got to make sure we know that when minute he comes out of there, he's got to sign him. Keen Flanagan, we have to sign him. I'd seen Keane Flanagan play about 10 times, live, as well as video. Sam Woods, we have to sign. You know, so there is some really good young players out there. Efron Mason Clark's the best player I've ever walked with. He's an unbelievable player. The fact that he's not gone on and got 20 goals in this division is really sad and poor from our football club. Our football club should be getting more at Efron Mason Clark, if I'm being totally honest with you. He's an unbelievable player. He will go on to play in the Premier League. We will, we. Um... I mean, our belief, me and Ian's belief, is um, is that the, the chopping and changes of the manager has mass, had a massive impact on his career. I also, I mean, I personally, I think Ian probably agrees with me on this. Harry Taylor, we think Harry Taylor's got a couple more levels in him as well. I mean, he's probably one of the most intelligent players um, I've seen at Barnet. Some managers don't get it at first until they realise that he's the one who cuts out all the passing names and he's the guy who tracks the runners and stuff like that. So... We have um, some players that have, you know that have their career has been impacted by the instability of this club, um, and it's good. It's really good that we're starting to see, and, I, and I'm really um, impressed with the fact that you know we're already looking at players for uh, for next year. And I mean, I've, I see a name up there, and I know from talking to somebody that um, that De Havilland is for next year, and that's you know their plans. You know, ahead. You know, what you're doing is you're blooding the players in, getting a program going. And stuff. So we, we hear things, and we you know we. Uh... Ryan's a good example, man, because you know Ryan's a kid out of these academies these days where you don't make no tackles. So he needs to go out, you know what I mean, and a little bit of spit and sawdust. He needs to fill into his body. He's a twenty-year-old lad. He's not twenty-one till next year. He's bow-footed. He's got no lungs, which means he can run for days. He's a midfield player with great vision. He just needs to learn the game. You know, he, he's played three times in Fulham's force team. He's got a bit about him. Um, the sad thing about football these days is these Premier League clubs and Category 1 clubs, the minute they kick them out of the club, they don't give an absolute flying thing about them. And they come to our levels. And I remember having this chat with Danny Hunter, to be fair, and he goes crazy about how many players that are just thrown to the sides. Who helps their depression? They've just been living a five-star life. They live five-star lives. If you're at Chelsea, it's six-star. If you're at Man United, it's six-star. You know, it's crazy. Billy Clifford's a great example of that. Billy plays for me at three different clubs. He played in Chelsea's force team at the age of 18. He's only 28 now. He comes Saturday on the chat room. So he's a great example. He's at having and Waterlooville. He's had to do that himself. You know, so these football clubs, you know, they have a lot to answer to as well because 
there's so much money given to the kids so young and so early. When I played, if you weren't good enough to get in the force team, you know, literally, you'd be kicked out, go play the reserves. Do you know what I mean? If you can't get in the reserves, then you'd be off and they'd help you get a club. I don't think they do much of that anymore. So it's quite a sad state of affairs. It's such an individual, and it's a business. That's what people have to understand. Football is a business. But going back to what you, just going back a sec there, man, a lot of different chopping and changing. So the football club have to take responsibility for that. And I have told that to our owner. That is the football club's responsibility, who they hire. It's the same. If I sign a player and he doesn't do the business, I take responsibility for that. If you sign a manager and he doesn't do the business, you have to, the flat comes your way. That's how it works. You know, um, and you have to be honest with yourself with that. And if you can't be, then you've got issues. So I think we're looking forward to today, I think we're in a great place. Um, we've got stability at our football club, which is very important. We've got players to run through Blick Walls for us. We'd like a bit more pace within our group. If I'm looking at the squad itself, we need more pace. Uh, my teams are renowned for pace yeah. and, uh, and intensity. So it is that time of year where we have to be honest with players and tell them if they're going forward with us or if they're not. And I like to let them know quite early. I don't want to let them go because they've got to find clubs themselves. So that's sort of the process we're in at the minute. Just, it's really interesting to hear you talk about the sort of the longer term aspect of that, uh, Dean, because I think we've we've been guilty as a club and supporters as well. It's you know it's all of us at the club. It's not just it's very easy just to point at one person or a couple of people and blame it, but for not not being too too long term. I guess a, a question for your for yourself, Dave, in terms of your experience with non-league, it, it feels like with just the volume of games that we have in this league. And also, like, just, there are so many externalities, there's so many things that can just happen and change, and you've got players that, you know, are on quite short-term deals, there's agents now in their ears. How do you kind of, and it's a question for you in general, I'll, I'll balance it to yourself as well, Dean, but how do you sort of balance the sort of the longer-term, medium-term, how far can you plan in the head, really, in this situation? How do you balance that with the, the shorter-term, right, we've got to win on Saturday? Because it feels like both of them are full-time jobs, and it feels like you're both doing them full-time as a sort of one job almost. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was just thinking when you were talking, when Dean was talking there, it is it's two roads. But but if you don't if you don't win games now, you don't get to go down the other road. So you absolutely our focus has to be on now. And talking about recruiting people for next year, it comes down to individual players. When we seen Rand de Havilland and, and when Dean made his judgment, and I and to be fair, just to go back, I remember Dean doing it with uh, Ollie Hawkins. Because I, I benefited, he'd signed Ollie Hawkins, and I'd phoned him. As, I was at Hamill, and I was a manager Harper, and he says, "He says I've got a player. You can have him for three months, you know, because he needs." It's De Havilland gone back a few years. Ollie Hawkins has made a, had a great career in professional football, and to be fair, I always remember phoning Dean, going, "Why don't you just let me have him?" Do you remember? And you've got no <laughs> chance. He's gonna. So, so it's not something that's that, that. This isn't the first time as Dean Dean's done it, but you don't do it for every player. And I, he might differ with me. I would say 70, if you're going to split it into 100, 70 plus has to be about today. Because effectively, if we lose our next 10 games, it doesn't matter what Randa Hovland is. Yeah. What What about yourself, Dean, in terms of how you've you balanced that? I guess, again, it must be interesting as well. Like, has that, is that something that you've changed since the start of your career? Because you said at sort of Hemel, you, you really built out that side over six years. You had that chance to perhaps build up a little bit of currency, even though, as you said, 
you know, 10 games, you know, that can't be quite generous actually almost, right? We, we could be looking at less, you know, a handful. How do you balance that in your head between let's get a result, Chesterfield Saturday versus, you know, right in, in the next two, three years, I, I want to see this, this player develop for me. I don't think you can look three years down the line or two years down the line. I think each team is built in each season. So we're in 21-22 now. It's built to then. Do we need to add, you know, along with the chairman yesterday, do we need to add? We look at the position we're in. Yeah, we do need to add here and there. We need to put pressure on the players in there. They need pressure on put on them because some of them, over the last couple of games, if we're honest, haven't performed to the level they've set against Torquay. The levels they've set, you know what I mean? If they need to get to them levels or do we miss Efron and Powley that much? You know, they're the big questions. So I know a lot's gone on. We've had a lot of players with COVID. They've come back. It's hard to get back in the rhythm. We've had players have babies. You know, this, we've had two or three lads have babies yeah. over Christmas, haven't we? So a lot goes on in people's personal lives and you understand that. And if you go back to the Yeovil game, the momentum we had going into that, I think we'd won 3-0 the week before. Yeah, At the start of the week, we had everybody fit. By the end of the week, we could only put three on the bench. And that's because of COVID. And, that's the cra- and now we haven't won a league game yet since back then. I know it's a long time. I think it's three games we haven't won a league game in. We played against Borough Wood. They had 11 players. We had 12 players. Yeah, in the trophy so it, it's, it is about today football is about today you know at the end of the day if we all go home and lose on Saturday Moody you know I'm the one that goes home to my family even worse than Moody because I have to watch the game back don't sleep that night watch it again get the stats off forget it off the analyst but I just want to say about our analyst um, it's Tony Roberts' boy a goalie coach uh, he's a good friend yeah uh, young Robbo what a kid fantastic at what he does his, uh, he's got great football grind, great eye. Coming from that kind of department is, is priceless. He does a great job with the recruitment as well. So he's only a young boy, but he's showed a lot of commitment and he's precious to us, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, he's been really good to us, yeah. No, I was only going to say that you were talking about how, how it can chop and change. The week leading up to Yeovil is a perfect example of what that was because, and you have to be very careful in this game of sitting back and going, looking all right, you know. And we were nearly in that place where we think, this is, can't wait. And it just can fall down around you quickly. But then... Well, we won five or six games, though, yeah, at yeah. that stage. Yeah. And then, out of nowhere, we go Yeovil in a tight game. Efron sent off, three-match ban. It's great. We have to put Rico up front. Ben Everton Richards has to go up front, see if we have something out of the game. We never got going in the game. It was a tight game. Did we deserve to lose? No. But at the end of the day... We've got to be a little bit more streetwise. F gets fouled a lot. We've got to manage the referees better. But the amount of penalties against us this year have been crazy. I was, I was just going to say before I hand over to, to Mem, just in, in terms of when we, st- the start of the season, I was at that Bromley game and, and we were, I think that was the, you know, I don't think we were great on the day. I actually didn't think Bromley were brilliant, but I think we were, it was the culmination of a lot of frustration. You're talking, I mean, we were, awful last year I mean I don't know if you ever saw us I know we got I think I don't know if you were there for the five we were dreadful and it was worse watching it on flipping HD at home at least when you're at the game you can talk to I can talk to men and pretend I can't see what's going on but I think there's just a culmination of that frustration and then you have players in that side Ephraim Mason Clark Harry Taylor who have done the business in in you know in league two top end of league two both of those players on that side that were pushing up towards the playoffs when and I, and I guess I'd like to actually ask this to both of you, and I might go to, to Dave first. When you came in with Simon Bassey last year, what were your messages to the to the players in terms of, you know, what is it that you wanted to change straight away? What were the quick wins? Because I guess one of the hardest things, and I was saying this the other day to yourself, is that 
obviously from the outside, you look, oh, new manager, a bit of a bounce, you know, and it's very easy to blame the old manager. But I think when a club's been losing for a long period of time, and it's not just like a bad run of 10 games, you're talking like a year, it's COVID. So there's all that social stuff is harder. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's harder. You're picking players off the floor. And I think you've both done a brilliant job of that at different points. So starting with yourself, Dave, what was the message you gave to those players when you walked through the door and said, in, in terms of, you, there was a real turnaround at the end of last season. And I'll come back to yourself, Dave, yeah, for that. Yeah, but again, you know, I'm the guy standing behind the guy. You know, it was it was Simon's team talking, how he set the team up. And obviously we, we all talk about it all the time, but the manager makes a decision. But I think the big thing was that with Bass was, he says, look, what's happened last week's gone. You know, there, there's only a couple of reasons why we are where we are. One will be the manager's just left. The second one, you. He's gone. So it's down to, you know, it's either your fault or... It's, so that was basically the message. And and to get a system that made you hard to be beaten, that was our first thing. I don't think we were brilliant to watch. I remember, I think it was Maiden Head Away, might have been the first game. It was awful. And I've been... I've watched some awful games in my own teams. <laughs> But it was essential to get that that sort of laying down and dying out of the system. So that's what it was about. And then that that breeds it. I remember speaking when we came off the pitch and saying, how do you feel? And everybody was wiped out. They'd given everything. And the old saying is, you know, minimum requirement is maximum effort. And and that's that's basically where, where, where boss, that's where we let it. And then just stuck to that system, you know. And, and to yourself, then, then, obviously, coming in to manage the club with the departure of, of Harry, because, again, it was it was almost, I felt almost more frustrated because I think, like, you could say, right, that was one season. And we all got excited. You know, we, we saw yourself signing on. We saw, your, you know, yourself coming in. We're like, this is brilliant. You know, really excited. And then it's like, I think we ship five on the first day again. And I was thinking, I see, I texted you and I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. And then I think we were just, you know, you know, getting just again a lot of penalties a lot of ill discipline I guess what did you say to the players then in terms of tactically what sort of thing did you sort of want to change when you took real kind of ownership of that team and that group of players I watched all the games back to be honest with you and in the first four games the team had played six formations now you two's coach you wouldn't do that to your kid, your lads would you and, and I thought we just needed a simple formation um, we just needed um Got our best players in the best positions, square pegs, square holes, kind of thing. Um, and I, I, if I'm being totally honest with you, I, you know, when I looked, Efron wasn't playing. At the end of the day, it's, it's opinions, and you get judged on your opinion. And F to me is a superstar, and he has to play every minute of every game. And if you ask any manager in this division, which I know all the managers in this, well, the ninety percent of them, they all want Efron. <laughs> they all take Efron like that. So we're very lucky to have him. So to build a team around him, Daniel Powell, Rob Hall was a good sign. And like, if you look at their CVs, they're proper players. You know, they've had proper careers. For different reasons, they found themselves here. COVID, for whatever reason. But um, the main thing was, was just to get the players to... I, I always say to them, your families are watching. Your family watching. Can you not give your all? You know what I mean? And the supporters are like, we've got to give our supporters something to sing about. And the only way you do that is by pressing the ball, hunting things down making sure you give your all no matter what. Like Dave said, it's a minimum requirement. It's easy to say that, but actions speak louder than words. And to be fair to our lads, the, uh, the standards I've asked them to adhere to, I still think we're a little bit short. I really think we're a little bit short. Our aim was to get a certain amount of pound, uh, points per game. 
I, I just wanted to, sorry to interrupt you, Dean, because uh, uh, I've seen both. I've seen what Bass did and I've seen what Dean did. And I, th I think that the difference is that, and it's Dean, the way Dean plays, the lads need to be fitter. You know, it's, you know, it, Bass was content to, let's make it more difficult to break down. From minute one, he wasn't like that. He was like, we're getting after them. But to get after them, you've got to have your, and we're lucky to have Gary, like GA's unbelievable in, in, you know, he's fine. He can tune a car. Do you want it tuned down? Do you want it tuned up? And that's and and so so sorry. I didn't. I just wanted to interrupt because I've seen both yeah. both things. But the the lads needed to be sharper, fitter, and they sort of got their eye on them. Yeah, we're in a better place. Athletic wise, I still think we can have more pace to our team because we play with real high intensity. You know, we want to cover a certain distance every game. We've got to cover over one hundred and twenty kilometers every game as a team. Every time we do that, we win. And when we drop below that, we don't win. So and the intensity levels have to be a certain level as well. And GA does all that. He's unbelievable at it. Um, just from, from like I say, we're a little bit short on the targets we set. We were we were at them just before, you know, just before Christmas. And we're a little bit short. We've just on the wrong end of a couple of results. But I can only sort of, as I analyse it, put it down to who has played and who wasn't available. And some of the other lads, if I'm being totally honest with you, haven't stepped up. And I've told them that. There's no hiding place here, lads. At the end of the day, I'm not going to come out and, you know, wreck them at home. My fault. I played all wrong. I played the system all wrong. My fault. And I told the players that straight after the game. That was my fault. That's not their fault. They gave their all. They gave everything. We were outclassed. But I opened up the game too much against a classy team because I tried to overload them in the wide areas and I sent the halves to overload them in possession and starve them in the ball. And they punished us because they had, you know, the long throw, they had Mullen. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I take responsibility for that straight away. I think I even said that probably to you in the interview I did, Howard. Um, yeah, so that's... But last week against Altrincham, not good enough. And I'm not being disrespectful to Altrincham. The standards we set, we didn't get to the standards we need to get to. Now, we showed character and togetherness. Away at Wokeham, we showed character togetherness. So we, sh we have got that in our locker, which is a, it's a key component to having success. Um, I think success for us this year... You know, is stability. That's the first thing, and then how we recruit between now and you know the start of next season is going to be imperative, really, to where we're going to come. And if you look at, you said earlier, you said, made a great point earlier about two divisions. There's actually four divisions in this division. Yeah. If you look at the big, big sides, Chesterfield, Notts County, massive spending. Then you look at Wrexham, Stockport, Grimsby. Um, you look at Southend. So you look at all these sides, that's for me is the elite group. Then behind them, you've got Dagenham, Bromley, Solihull, who are trying to get promoted as well. We're talking about heavy budgets here. And then the next group is ourselves, is Woken, is Eastleigh, you know? And, and then you've got the part-time teams, the Wheelstones, the Kings Lins, um, the Dovers. So if you look what's in the group, at the minute, we're in the group we should be in, which we're 15th in the division, I think we are at the minute. But how do we get into the next group? It's 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 really I completely agree with you. I really I find that fascinating and it's like a bit depressing. Like you talked a little bit about, you know, your influences from Pep Guardiola and, and Barcelona and looking at, at that level of football where you know Premier League there is pretty much a straight line between wage budget and where you finish in the league. And I think again Championship is getting there. There's a few more, you know, crazy cats there throwing all sorts of uh, uh, trying to get their club up into the Premier League. It's a bit of a lottery, but it is beginning to have that pattern. And that goes to something I was going to just wanted to oh, sorry, man. I know I'm dominating all these questions. There's so much to ask you guys. And I will, whenever you want to, you know, kick us out, just let us know. But it's, 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 it's amazing experience for us. 
I guess, how do you then, because ultimately one of the things we talked about as a club for a while is how we get more fans back in. And I'm not going to, not because it's, I, I don't want to ask it, but I just think it's not the most resting thing for me right now about the club being away from Barnet, being up in the hive. We talked about the facility, etc. We've lost a bit of our fan base because of that, unfortunately, over the years. Um, and we're trying to regrow it. And I know there's some great work going on to try and regrow it. But the reality is we're not going to see that necessarily double or triple overnight to get us even probably into that second or th- you know, second bucket or the top bucket, certainly in terms of, in terms of that go on Dean sorry this is massive because Tony props up the club financially it, it, it's that simple so at the end of the day would you prop up out your finances do you know what I mean and that's what I'm saying to you so we have to respect that and the facilities we have are amazing this time last year as the manager of Wheelstone we'd no way to train and we're in the same division you know and Wheelstone we much further up the division than where we are now so the only way we can do that is like what we're doing now laying foundations for a new team laying foundations for new supporters to come in be inclusive, create a togetherness, and that will have that family environment. Brother, sisterly love, motherly, fatherly love. If we have that, that's only created by winning football matches, but players give an effort winning football matches. Martin Allen's team wasn't the most experienced team that won the division. I remember it. You know, it had some, it had stacky, it had some experienced players in it, but a lot of pace, you know, and it went in against other bigger sides in the division, and in the end, obviously, Martin went on and to a different club and whatever else happened, but... And then you have to sort of stabilise when you get into the next division and the next division. And there's been a high turnover of management here, which is something we just cannot do in the coming years. It just can't be done. And just that's really interesting because on that point, and again, I'm really sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll hand this back to you. I've nicked it from you. I'm not going to give that. But just first of all to, uh, to Dave on this, in your experience of non-league, where I guess players do have options, like they're not limited necessarily by having a huge long contract. And especially in London, there is a, a wide variety, or there are a wide variety of clubs, you know, you talk about National League South, like adding an extra 25 minutes on a commute perhaps isn't, you know, it's not great, but it's not the end of the world. How do you pitch clubs to players when they've actually got, you know, as you said, something like Ephraim Mason Clark, the next Ephraim Mason Clark, how do, you know, if you, I know you're, you're not the manager here, but in the past, how have you pitched clubs to players who are perhaps young or aspirational and said, this is the best club to go to because, yeah, sure, Chesterfield, Notts County, whoever it is, can offer you a, a bit more money, but this is the best club to go to. And I'd like to ask the same question to yourself, uh, Dean, and then I will hand over to you, man. Well, my, my, my answer is simple. There's there's different reasons at different clubs. I've been at sort of Horrorborough Hendon, which you have to talk talk people into well, Hendon at a good group. So I'm saying, look, if you want to be successful, come and join the group. The group will help you get sort of your profile higher, which can give you a chance to go on. We'll never stop you doing that. We've a chance of going into the next division. Go to AFC Wimbledon. I'd, I promise you, I kid you not, at a, a video of we played a County Cup final at Woking and the big stand at Woking was hanging out of, of Wimbledon fans when we came on the pitch. The ticket tape, and I just said, do you want to play in front of that or not? Do you want, who doesn't want to do that? So sometimes it's really, really difficult. Sometimes I think where we are, and Dean will answer his own question. I think it's much we're going back a few years when, when, when you got the player in, you got to speak to him. Now there's there's different people involved. There's agents. There's budgets. This is full time. What I was doing is part time. So so the, the it's a much more difficult situation. But I think as a manager, you have to adapt to what bus you're driving. Yeah. That's, that's, I think it's very well. What about you, yourself? Because I guess one thing we can't offer is a stand with lots of people hanging out. We can lots, offer them lots of stands, but not necessarily people inside them. So I was, I was wondering what you were going to say in terms of yet, yet, yet. Uh, the best source of recruitment is players. It's as simple as that. And any player that... So Efron, for example, 
you know, if he goes on and moves on to other teams, and then I see a player in the you know, in the twenty threes, and he's in the fourth team somewhere, and, and I ring F and say, look, what's this kid like? Give me a little down on him, and then I bring him to the football club. F's going to put a good word in for you, and they're the best source of. And any player that comes to Barnet Football Club now, we're going to make sure we improve them, no matter what happens. Whether we improve them in life skills, whether we just in genuine day-to-day life, but hopefully in football skills and make them better players. Some are going to get wrong. Some for different issues, different off the pitch. There's so much that goes on off the pitch. I'm not, we're normal people. We're not robots. And you're right. It's very competitive. You know, you look at. So Chesterfield, for example, this weekend, they've got six centre-forwards on the books. We've got two. You know, now that's for certain reasons, because we've got going too late. So I don't want to place Peter with Paul, which is very important. We need to get better and upgrade. Every time we sign a player, not just for a supporter's point of view, when they go into that changing room, we sign that player, the player turn around and go, I see where the gaffer signed him. What a player he is. This is us getting better. So when he comes in and he's better than them, what are the players going to do? Are they going to drop or are we going to raise the bar? And that's how you get better. Simple as that. How you keep improving. And, uh, and a, of a big motto, train the way you play. And I judge training. And that's why Serhat got his chance over the last few games. He's been training magnificent. And if I'm being honest, I've spoke to Serhat and his agent. I'll have to speak to And he hasn't took his chance. I'm afraid that's the way football works. We can't stagnate and go back that way. We've got to go that way. So someone else gets an opportunity this weekend. So, I mean, I'm really enjoying this um, discussion around sort of improving the side. So it was, I think it was quite early on, quite close, and a lot of supporters have picked up on this. And I think, generally speaking, as a support group, there's a lot of supporters that feel, you say it was interesting what you said earlier about the, the lack of pace um, you feel in the team. I think one of the areas that a lot of supporters are spotting and feel is that in that midfield area is, is the real lack of, of um, yards, basically. And I would say probably mobility, pace, whatever you want to call it, that ability to get on that second ball and be the first one to it. And um, and, it's in- and it's interesting that you talk about that. And do you think that's a fair assessment from the supporters that, that maybe that midfield does need more energy in it? Somebody who's got, somebody who is... When we, so, I mean, give give the context. The two the last two championship-winning teams that Barnet have had was with uh, under Paul Fairclough, and we had Dean Sinclair, who literally could go box-to-box, could get on the end of things and score goals but also at the same time get back in position. He wasn't the greatest ball player, but it didn't need to be. The fact that he stretched teams by constantly making runs from midfield. And then in the last team we had um, that won the league, we had Curtis Weston. Again, another player who, again, was probably not the greatest in possession, but was able to stretch the midfield because he could get there. He had the legs to get there and he had the legs to get beyond. Is that, is that assessment, do you feel that's a fair assessment of the, of the side currently? On second balls, I'd say no, because we went to... Uh, ball and Wood and we've won a fair I thought actually just going back to the Ball and Wood game we lost 1-0 here I thought we were outstanding we should have won the game um, but Ball and Wood have a way of playing and they have a lot of they're the oldest group in the division by the way uh, they've got no player I, think, I don't think under the age of 25 so very, and in the group you play this weekend Courts will play for Chesterfield he'll sit in midfield for Chesterfield um, he doesn't bomb around as much <laughs> yeah. anymore but yeah and, and Dean Sinclair I know well as well box to box midfield player who scored goals um, so it used to be at Norwich and then Charlton and, yeah, and he, he did really well here every team wants that every team wants that it's, it's getting that type of player and the timing they're getting that you've got to remember our recruitment started so late our recruitment started in June lots of people on holiday well obviously not on holiday the way it was but our recruitment started so late and we've identified a lot of players some players 
maybe not getting in at a League One side, some players not getting in a League Two side, but everything's got to marry. And it's like I say, now it's not just me speaking to the players, it's the agent, and then I get to speak to the players. You know, so it's difficult uh, to get recruitment right, but it's, like I say, it's the key to the business and it takes up most of the time. So it's fair to say, though, that is a player that you 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 do think we do need a type, that kind of player in the side. Yeah, every we need a goal scorer midfield player. We need someone, we need more goals. Someone that goes box to box and scores twenty goals a season. <laughs> not, not interested at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, we we want that type of player. Yeah, we, realistically, you need a defensive midfield player, you need a box to box midfield player, and you need a technical player. That's sort of the targets. Both fullbacks for me have to be athletic, which we've got at this moment in time. One slightly ahead of the other in Sam Beard because he's played over 100 games at the age of 23. Jordan Thomas is just starting out. He's played 20-odd games. Now, Tomo's got a great future ahead of him. Um, and then you have the, the powerful lads at the back. Um, ideally, we'd like two to every position. We haven't got that at, mo at this moment in time. Um, in a strong two to every position, you can sort of see the shape up there because we've got a couple like the Havilland's development player. And the biggest thing for them, like at the Havilland, when he comes back in the summer, he's got to come back and be better than Mitch Brundle better than Josh Payne, better than Sam Woods, because they all play the same amount of minutes in pre-season. He's got to make sure that he, when he comes back, here's his opportunity. If he don't take it, what happens in this business is you're shown the door and the next player comes along. So, for, And just going back to recruitment as well while you're here, we started off with 134 players on our list in November. That's how many were on our list. That's not just picking them out. That's players we know, we've had eyes on, and that we've, we've analysed. We're actually now down to about 86 so we've got to find out, is he getting released over there? Are they keeping him? I've got to stay in tune. I've got to speak to other directors of football, other managers. What are they doing with him there? So a lot goes on. That's why I have two phones. <laughs> you know, it's not that easy. Look, we, like, we really like a lad, for example, that's playing level three, not far from here. Really like him. Catch chickens. Perfect for us. But another club in their division has bid 20,000 for him. It's been torn down. You know, I know the manager well. We'd like to sign him. You know, I hope I'm not talking out of tone. I can't mention who it is. Or you know, we'd like to sign them. We'd, excuse me, we'd love to sign them. Um, but circumstances at the minute don't allow us to do that. You know, the only other point I was going to make in, in the differences in the game today is that, you know, when you visually watch a game, you get an opinion of what you think you've seen. We can tell you exactly how many miles they've run, how quick they've done it, when they've done it. So. Um, uh, the, the joy of supporters is you go and watch a game, I've got a beers, give your opinion, brilliant. Yeah. Listen, I'm two steps behind him. I'm effectively a supporter for a lot of the time, but we can exactly, we can tell exactly what they've done. There's no hiding place. It's visual now, and we've got the data on it, you know? Obviously, we've talked a little bit about sort of certain areas, but so what I'd like to, maybe between the two of you, and I don't expect you to name names and things like that, because obviously that's not, not we won't, we're not here to dig out sort of individuals, but looking at the side at the, mo at the moment, um, and obviously the ultimate aim for any Barnet team has to be challenge for promotion. We're a, we've won this division three times. I know that obviously there's financial dif differences between us and other clubs, but as supporters, we are a big club in this division and we expect to be pr challenged for promotion. So with that, pri with that sort of aim in mind, what do you believe are the strengths of this side that, that could take us there? And where do you think are the, the potentially the weaknesses which would need to be improved to get us to that point where we are challengers? And it might not be this year, but it could be next year. But what are the things that you think, okay, these are good, we need to keep this, 
these are the things that need to come up. The realism of this year is that if you just look at the heavy hitters, look, look at Stockport, for example. They've gone and signed basically Bolton's captain out of League One. So we have to be mulling a lot of from Madden, the Irish lad. These are all proper players, like, and they're coming into this division and getting bigger finances. But what togetherness and team spirit can do, and that has to sort of start from day one, you know. And you need and a club like ours needs everyone in it from day one. So what I'd say this year is, if we can stabilise, which we have done so far, and continue to do that and continue to progress, if we can do that and hit the ground running next season. Let's see where that can take us. But I agree. We, Dave, myself, the other coaching staff, even the players, they're not here just to tick along. We all want to win, but we've got to find the solutions to win. Does, and the players in there, this is very important, the players in there getting their cars, speak to each other on the phone, we need him, we need a player, can we do They speak like that too, you know, as well as you. We all speak that way. Um, the, the key, what I say to Mal Thomas, try to stay as positive as you can especially when we're here. We all go home and have a chat. I think I go home and have a chat when I'm having dinner with my family and go, he was rubbish today. That happens. That happens in my household. It's the truth. But I'll find out why. He's just had a baby. He's just had COVID. Then I speak to him and I get some of the staff members to speak to him. Find out if he's all right. Bring him in. Do you want a cup of tea? Bring him in. Do you want a cup of tea? What's going on? Everything all right at home? No, I mean, I had COVID. So there's always a reason why someone's not played particularly well. No one doesn't want to play well. But the other bit, which is the key bit, is the opposition. Sometimes maybe they're a bit better than you at different stages. You know, so, but what, one thing what I'd say is what we've done is made sure we're competitive in every game. Really, apart from Wrexham, every other game we've been competitive, really competitive. And I don't think many teams want to play against, just to be totally honest with you, because we've got good athleticism. We, like I said, we do a bit more speed. Um, we're quite physical in midfield. We've got two physical centre-backs. We've got a good, solid, strong goalkeeper who's learning his trade. You've got good backups. I mean, to be honest, I know they're, they're very young. Are there many clubs in this division with three young goalkeepers at that level? Probably not. Probably not. They're all good goalkeepers, to be fair. Um, and it's always good for them to go out and play. Uh, young Callan's had a little bit of a nightmare. He's broke his finger twice in the last six or seven weeks. So he's had a nightmare. Um, but ideally, when you have goalies like that, you want to get them out on loan. Like Eamon's out on loan at the minute at Bracknell, which is Eamon Aziz, which is important for him because it's priceless for him. Some big old centre-half like Dave coming in and nailing you <laughs> from a corner is priceless. And the referees won't be as, as lenient at that level as they are here. So, yeah. Well, he's already had a crack in the head, didn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, is so he still wearing a headband? Yeah, yeah. I think he'll wear that, he'll wear that the rest of his career, I would guess. Well, for, for a long time. I mean, I was... At something that night, and it looked innocuous. Or, uh, is that the right word? Not, but um, he and it was a complete accident. But I, I think you've got to sort of pay him a lot of credit that he's come back from it. You know, psychologically as well as as physically. Yeah, massive, massive injury. You know, and and has the frame, has the frame to be a top goalkeeper. It's just what happens next. You know. I guess as we sort of come towards the, the, the closing stages of this then, because you've been incredibly generous with your, with your time, both of you, and I know... Yeah, we're by the minute, so... <laughs> um, and we, we know for j just how hard you're both working, and you've got a lot to do. Um, but I was just, just wondering, in terms of the longer term for, for Barnet and stuff like that, and I think... Um, Dean, you, and both of you actually in your careers uh, are not people who just sort of jump at the next, the next sort of passing train. I think, you know, 
as you said, you're you're young in terms of age wise, but in terms of experience and backgrounds, uh, both in and out of football, it, I think it gives you that real perspective that comes through so well to us as supporters. And listening to you now speak is is even more impressive. I was just wondering, like, obviously promotion is the is the easy not the easy answer, the long term goal, the long term vision. I think supporters now know that having had the last season, looking at the clubs we talked about there with the, the money, Sarsovic, Madden at Stockport, you know, Tozer and, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> it's like fancy football almost, right? Um, that actually, it's not going to be the case it has been in previous years. It's going to be a simple season and bounce back. But we just want to see a team that's competitive, first of all, and then let's see where we can go. What, what If you were to say, right, you know, in a, whenever it was a couple of years' time and looking back, what, what is it that you'd want to say you, you'd done at Barnet? I guess promotion is one aspect of that. You're an ambitious guy and I know you're ambitious for the club, but what is it that you really want to put into this club? Is you know, What is it that, that Dean Brennan will, will leave here as the club? I think the first thing, um, what we have to get right is, is making sure we look after our own backyard. That's the, getting the foundations right and then we can do the rest. And that comes just from honest, good, honest people, good, honest, hard work. That creates togetherness. The next bit, I'd be disappointed in myself if I don't get the recruitment right. Because that's I've always done well in recruitment, and that for me that's the key to the business. That's why you put. That's why I'm grey and I'm up all night watching football and watching different players. That's the key to it. If I'm being totally honest with you, timing. We need a break. We need a few bits of luck. Timing of players, um, and when them good players come along, you have to know them where you can go instantly. Let's get the deal done. You know that's important. Good support from my chairman. Uh, to be fair, he's been brand new with us. He's given us good solid support so far. Like I say, he's got a good relationship. Uh, with them and then I think the biggest thing is we don't want to leave in three years you know if we can leave a legacy and stay here for 10 years why not but that'll only happen if we win football matches so that that's important for us as well you know uh, Tony has ambitions too you know what I mean you know look at this facility and I don't the biggest thing I see a lot of people come in here when they come in facility facility that's just mandatory like I say how are we going to live in this facility are we going to live in it with our heart and soul it's the same as when I grew up in the flats when I was a kid you know, I always, I was saying, like, life's mad now, I'm 41 years of age, but if you can ask me one year, I could go back to it in my whole life, it was the age of 14, and I grew up in a really tough area in the city of Dublin, but I'd always go back to that time in my life, you know, but now, nice car, whatever else, you know what I mean, very lucky to do what I do, but that, because we had so much togetherness, and when I say that, I like shivers on the back of my neck, everyone was in it together, family, et together, all together, played football together, played in the street together. That's the sort of environment we want to uh, connect and especially be inclusive of our supporters because they've had so, you guys have had such a tough time. You know, you really have. And fair, look, you guys, the job, well, the job you two do is much appreciated. Howard's doing it now as well, what you two do with the podcast. That's appreciated because that's a tough thing to do, to go on there all the time after getting beat, especially heavily quite a lot last year. And that's a tough gig, you know, so it's appreciated from our point of view too. So, you know, we do, uh, we appreciate your positive support. Have you actually listened to an episode? <laughs> no, I did actually. I listened. Yeah, do you think it was fair? I listened to Tony's episode. Oh, did you? Yeah, Tony. Yeah, I listened to that. Okay, so you've never listened to us analyse the team then? <laughs> no, I don't do that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I, because, you might, <laughs> because you might start influencing what I do <laughs> and take me job. <laughs> I worked on the BBC for 13 years and never listened to one episode I did. So, you know, I'm not going to, with the greatest respect to you. Guys, I just I just want to say, just as we wrap this up, just a, a huge thank you to both of you. I think it, it's been, and no, but I, I, mean, I mean sincerely both of you. I think, you know, Dean, obviously you're the one driving the ship, but you've got good people on board. And I think uh, as fans, we really appreciate just seeing an honest team, an honest management, honest communication. 
I do think you know fans can be unreasonable. Some of them get frustrated when you lose, whatever it is. But actually, the majority of fans just want a team that they can be proud of watching. And I think we've really got that now. Even when things, you know, when it was ninety-three minutes and I was with my dad at auction, I was like, Fuck, just get the ball in the box, whatever it was, and it and it happened. But I think there's there's a few more of those moments being built now. And um, yeah, just a huge thank you for all your work from from our perspective and your honesty. It's really appreciated. And I do think I speak for for the vast vast majority of fans. We say we're we're behind you one hundred percent of the way. And uh, you know, anything you need from us in terms of cheerleading just give us a shout I'll, I'll leave members tactical analysis I'll, I'll get him to leave that in your office he's coming to CD collection I think we feel that <laughs> I, I genuinely I, I would say genuinely we feel that from the supporters don't we we feel yeah. that we feel the, the support we, we feel that they want us to do well we feel that they're desperate to be included and, and, and we're all desperate to include them so don't think it's not felt you know it, it really is and that, that listen you don't need motivated if you're going to sit in that chair but it helps you it helps you when they know they're with you and, you know, even at Ultram didn't play well, score later. They're there, you know, even after Boreham we when we lost. You can, t- you can sense what they're about and I, I'm just speaking personally, you know, we don't talk a lot about it, you know. But Walking away was a great feeling, yeah. you know. Even dispatching uh, Dev's team here at 3-0, they're a good side, Dev's team. Yeah. You know, he's a seasoned manager in the division. Yeah, good side and, you know, for the resources they have, they do a good job. But... The main thing for us is we always say we as players, management, we have to give you something to sit and cheer about. And you know, you're not just gonna turn up and go and wave and then we're losing three 0 and keep waving. Do you know what I mean? So but the positive support from our supporters so far has been excellent. It's our job to make sure we keep raising the bar and getting better. Well, we're doing a great job, both of you, and thank you so much for your time. And uh, fingers crossed, we can hope you do this again sometime yeah, uh, when we're celebrating promotions for the championship in four years' time. That's the promise, isn't you it? You never know. <laughs> Been done before.